Freeway Exit is a podcast from KPBS Public Media about the past, present, and future of San Diego's freeways. Learn the forgotten history of the San Diegans who built our freeway network and the activists who fought against them. Freeway Exit explores exciting and radical solutions for building a more sustainable and equitable San Diego. Listen and follow Freeway Exit from KPBS wherever you get your podcasts. The team at Education First believes the world is better when people understand each other. Since 1965, Education First has helped millions of people explore new countries and cultures and see the world. You can join Education First by opening up your home to an international student and get paid for it as a host family. Education First has a school in Point Loma actively recruiting host families. Learn more at efhomestay.com. That's efhomestay.com. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., they help high achievers enjoy their lives more fully, manage their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice San Diego, and I'm joined, as always, by managing editor Andrew Keats. What's up, Andy? Not a lot, man. How are you? I'm well, thanks. And fellow managing editor Andrea Lopez Villafaña. ¿Qué pasa, Lopez? Hey, Lewis. Coming up on the show this week, it was a surreal scene at Snapdragon Stadium this morning. I was there, and so were the San Diego 20, we've called them for years, the people who run the city. You know, the little town in big clothes. We can't take credit for coining that. No. You remember who did? Lorena, right? Yeah, Lorena Gonzalez. Yeah. Yeah. But there was also a group of people that represented this kind of global soccer world, big money, nice suits. Just outside of San Diego. Yeah, there's just a, there was a definite different group mixing. It was a very interesting scene. I'm going to try to articulate it. Why were they there? Well, Major League Soccer is coming to San Diego. It is official. I will review the history of our search for stadiums, uh, our effort to get renderings into reality, soccer, Mission Valley, uh, tribal history, how it all plays together, and why it all came together this week. Also, Andrea this week had a story about when the police do not come when you call. Downtown workers and shop managers often are on the front lines of the homelessness crisis. And when interactions spiral out of control, what can they do when the police are absent? She's going to lay out her report she did in concert with uh, Will Huntsbury. And finally, Metropolitan Transit System tried to move to the future with an app-based ticketing system. You could put money on the app and then it would come off every time you got on the trolley and everybody would be happy. But most riders do not use it. And now the agency is losing money. We'll get into the latest MTS hurdle. That place has some stuff going on. That's all coming up. Stay with us. Scott, you did, did some reporting today, huh? I don't usually go to press conferences, but I felt every once in a while I feel like I have to. And this one I felt like I had to. <laughs> um, that's 
that's a, a little minor flex. I'll allow it. I know. Is it, it kind of like, like like the event couldn't <laughs> couldn't happen without you being there? There's like, it's like which I he... do think I don't even think that was like subtle. I think that's what no. you were saying yeah. explicitly there. It's yeah. like when he doesn't wear name tags at yeah. events. <laughs> it's like it's like the time you got in a fight with Bonnie Demonis. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you went to a press conference today. Uh huh. Um, I want to ask for a scene report. Yeah. But first, I want to ask, why did this one reach the standard that it, it you felt like it couldn't couldn't happen without you? I have tried to be a reporter, even though I have different jobs here. Yeah, the whole time. Like I, if I weren't able to write and report, I wouldn't be satisfied. I would struggle as a man, especially with all the <laughs> okay. middle class anxieties or middle age anxieties I have. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, and so we are I, getting somewhere right now. <laughs> and so one Keep of this. <laughs> and so one of the storylines I've followed, of course, is the stadium in Mission Valley. Since for literally twenty years, I've been writing about what's going to happen there. Yeah. And this felt like the end. It the, does actually feel like a comment. There will be stuff. They'll build more things in that area. Yeah. The but, park. But, but this story is over now, or it's it's. Its last chapter has begun, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just, I feel, I felt honestly a little bit emotional about the story climaxing and sort of being resolved in this way. Okay. And I wanted to go see it. And and I knew it would be a scene too. Mm-hmm. And it really was. All right, scene report. So you said at, at the intro that uh, the San Diego 20 were there. Yeah. Um, fill in newcomers to the show, newcomers to public yeah. affairs. Who is the San Diego Twin? Well, about a decade ago, Lorena Gonzalez um, sort of offhand said something along the lines of like the San Diego 20 exist and they're going to be mad about this or whatever. And her point was like the 20 people who are always involved in different boards and commissions who are always the leaders, the business leaders or chamber, all these folks that are always doing the things in San Diego. They, They have the conversations and they just happen to be mostly white dudes. Yeah. Also, that was like wagging a filet mignon in front of a Rottweiler yeah. for her to say the San Diego twenty. I yes. remember almost instantly you you were like, "Name them." Yeah. Who? Yeah. So so who are they? Yeah. And she did not take that bait. She was not gonna. She was not gonna list the twenty. Mm-hmm. I think. Did you write a column trying to list yeah. the twenty? I tried to. I tried to lay it out. Yeah. And yes. The San Diego 20 were there. Okay. Like Jerry Sanders. And by that, by which we mean the idea. Yeah. It's not actually... The 20 people. There's... But the, the people who run the chamber, the sheriff was there. All the city council members, or most of them were there. Yeah. Uh, there is like the the mayor, the, the Jack McGrory, the, you know, um, developer, kind of, former a, a city manager. Coterie of lobbyists. Yeah. Kind of all all kinds of people yeah. like that there. So San Diego is sort of the people you see... At the mixer before the taxpayers' ball or whatever, right? Yeah. And you, so, so and so, who else was there? And then there was this like international s- sort of I don't know this this elite group of people who clearly didn't know San Diego. Yeah. But were ready to. They're like, we're San Diego now. Yeah. Like they literally said that. There was a guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a guy, uh, Mohammed uh, Mansour. So yeah. this is the British Egyptian billionaire. Yeah, Mansour Group. 
Yeah, he is uh, got investments in soccer all around the world. He is the treasurer of the conservative Tory party in England. He is a um uh he is just a uh, you know, he's a true like international uh businessman. Yeah. And, and he is now the part owner or he is he has shared the investment with Sequan into MLS about a 500 million dollar investment and they now are going to, and they have been given the the team to run in San Diego. Yes. So what I'm imagining here with the, this mix, the the San Diego kids, the, the popular table in the cafeteria of San Diego people. Yeah. Plus the heavy hitters from out of town. Right. And then there's like like Manny Machado, who's yeah. who he's is a San Diego he, guy now. He's but now he, a San Diego guy, but he's still figuring out what his role is in the community. Like like uh, Andrea, you were you were saying like. Is he now the new Bill Walton? Yeah, I was like, is he a San Diego booster now? A, a great call, frankly. It, and I would say not yet. No. When he weighs in on something that he's not directly involved with, then I'll, I'll start to identify. Now, he is now part of that group that did invest in the Major League Which soccer. was a little bit of news. We didn't know yeah, that going no. Yeah, well, I, I didn't know that. So he was giving me like booster energy. Okay. I mean, so what I'm imagining is like, you watch. You ever watch like a high school basketball game? Yeah. When one guy on the court is a top-ranked player who is going to, you know, go play at Duke. Yeah. He's going to go play potentially in in the NBA in a couple of years. Yeah. From the moment you walk in the gym, he looks different. Yeah. Than the other guys. There might be other good players. Might be college players. Might be guys who they dropped in on your Y men's league in five years. They'd be the best player there. But this guy carries himself differently from the way he stretches walks to let alone the way he plays that there was a, a discernible difference when you're looking out into the event from the the locals and the people from out of town just the way it was put together the feel of the event the how well it was choreographed and just it was it was nothing i've never seen a more professional you know sort of press conference like that <laughs> It was, and the scene was just gorgeous. We sound you like don't, such. You don't get out too many though. So. Yeah, no. we sound like absolute yokels. Like, <laughs> the, so the, organized. The lectern was <laughs> painted, just... and the, the sound system just worked. No, there was no time where just, everybody had to figure out the AV problem. We had a media check-in time. <laughs> I just want to capture this feel. It was like we. It was like we had a. A mansion, because the Snapdragon Stadium looked resplendent. It looked gorgeous. It yeah. really did look great. And so that's that's something we created here, of course. Or I didn't have I didn't do anything, but uh. <laughs> it's also such a testament to like what a JV operation the Chargers have always been. Yes, that that like this whole thing stood out to you. MLS is to be clear, many multiples times less valuable than the NFL. We right. had an NFL team. You yeah. went to many press conferences, yes. dealt with them a lot. You, no, like nothing like nothing like this. They they probably were more like you know like. Hawaiian shirt wearing guys like checking you into the convention space at the Bahia. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or remember when they were leaving and they had that one event at the theater where they were like saying, telling the fans why they were going to leave basically. Yeah. It was just Mark Fabiani up on stage, like getting howled at. I mean, it was just a different, it it just felt. And so there was this mixing. It was like the, it was like the salt water mixing with the, with the clear, the fresh water. It was just this definite. It was brackish. It was, it was so interesting to, to watch. And there was, and 
you know, there was this guy who's well known. Rob Stone is the sort of voice of Major League Soccer, right? And he's emceeing this event, and he's super polished, and he's just like, but you could just tell he's like, well, they tell me this is May Gray, I guess, <laughs> and the sun's not out, but the sun comes out, and it was just like, it was just, it, it had this, it had this feel of people, and the the guy Mohammed Mansoor, he gets up and he's like, he's like. We are San Diego now. And, and and MLS, when it put out the tweet, the Major League Soccer, when it put out the tweet announcing this, they're like, until 2025, you stay classy, San Diego, using an anchorman ref. It's just like classic, like, like people, a, like... They like must a Southwest been... Airlines flight attendant who's <laughs> just landed, yes. you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so there's, yeah, you can tell they're, they're like, boy, this, that's clever. Yeah. That's going to connect with San Diego. <laughs> like they had like a list, like Not, Top Gun reference. Uh, yeah. That might be Anchorman true. reference. Uh, Blink-182 reference? No, no. Uh, no, go, go, go Anchorman. Go Anchorman. Go Anchorman. That, they'll resonate with that. It felt like a, a, a mansion had been set up for a wedding. And, and, and they came in. And, and I think it, it, it comes in this first bite I want to share. So this is Mohammed Mansour, this billionaire, conservative British politician guy who's you know just getting to know San Diego. And he says, this. "I wish this happened at City Hall. I just, I would love, <laughs> I would, I would love Muhammad Mansour to be in City Hall in the in the in the press office, oh God. in the trenches. <laughs> they, can they? Would they even like yeah. let him in? Be like, I'm sorry, sir. This yeah. is just embarrassing. Like, we'll take like you when my house is dirty, and I'm like, oh, we can't go to my house. We have to go somewhere else. <laughs> so here was here was Mansour about what why they came to San Diego. We scouted the globe for the right opportunity." with soccer and San Diego ticked all the boxes. Okay, so that is really indicative, right? Like on the one hand, you can feel the San Diego 20 going, yay, we ticked the boxes. They like us. They're excited about (laughs) it. And then there was another, there's another angle though to that where it's like, they did scour the globe for a plot of land that they could like come and and have, right? Right. And, and, And it wasn't necessarily... And not really the globe so much as like five U.S. cities that are of a certain size that don't yet have an MLS right. team. And so I think, yeah. <laughs> it's like we scoured Las Vegas, Sacramento, Phoenix, <laughs> yeah. and no, San Diego. I, I have, honestly think it doesn't think, have the same ring to it. You know? No, I, I honestly think he was looking and has expressed yeah, could, that he wants to look for other investments around the world. Right. right that right. this was this was the one. He yeah, was. he has soccer academies all over the world that are. He owns a, a, a team in the Netherlands. So the first point is that San Diego State built that. They checked those boxes. Yeah. Above all other groups, San Diego State University built a stadium that, by all accounts, all of these guys, and they were all dudes, except for the university president, Adela de la Torre, mm-hmm. they all loved the stadium. And they made it clear that, that San Diego State's decision to design and build it the way that they did is why this is happening. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was actually like huge uh, shout to them that they built something that fast. Should we do that? Should we do this now? Sure. So if you go back in time five years to 2018, yeah, there was a debate taking place. Mm-hmm. Two competing ballot measures. One was Soccer City. It's an investment group that, among other things, had the, at that time, exclusive rights for an MLS expansion franchise. 
and they proposed taking over the land under then Charger Stadium, developing it with a bunch of stuff, and building a new stadium as the anchor for this entertainment district. And then there was San Diego State who said, you should not do that. You should give it to us, and we will expand the university. We will provide housing as part of that expansion, and we will build a new stadium for the Aztecs primarily, for the Mm -hmm. Aztecs football team primarily. That, Everybody at the time expressed like this was a choice between are you trying to go for soccer yes. with with whatever they build on the side or San Diego State's football with with San Diego State stuff on the side. Top level, top line, that was the argument. Mm-hmm. That was the headline of the argument. Now, as you had the argument, and we did for a long time, there's a, many podcast episodes about it. Right. San Diego State said a series of things and all of them have been vindicated. All. All of them. They said, uh, we need to expand San Diego State, and we intend to. They're doing that. Mm-hmm. They said Cal State, this Cal State system that controls the purse strings for the university, is interested in that as well. Mm-hmm. And they will give us the money to do it. And they have. Sort of the upfront costs, which they've now almost fully recovered, recovered from the stadium. From the stadium. They said uh, that they can and will build a nice stadium very quickly, mm-hmm. as, as quickly as possible, which they did, mm-hmm. like faster than any major project in San Diego has uh, in the time I've been here. And also, like there were hurdles that the city threw in front of them over the course of that, and they like sidestepped those and stayed on time and on budget. And labor, a bunch of, they, they had like, a lot of trouble putting Labor it issues, city attorney issues, the transaction, a lot of stuff could have derailed it. And the history of this town is that those things typically do derail these projects, but it did not for them. Um, and then they also said, crucially, this actually isn't a choice between football and soccer. Because if soccer, if soccer city loses, MLS will still want to come here and we can build the stadium to accommodate them. In fact, I and talked to John. that was that was a strenuously objected to argument by the FS investors and their and their supporters. Like, no, you will not get Major League Soccer here. We have you- settled that. <laughs> like all of these arguments have been settled. It's rare. It's rare that in like a public policy debate within a few years, within a few years, do you get complete resolution there's just nothing left to the imagination here. They were proven correct on every count. John David Wicker is the athletic director of San Diego State. He's the one that's overseen the stadium development the whole time. I asked him today, I was like, can you be honest with me for a second? In 2018, did you really think a major league soccer team would come? And he said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. He said, I knew eventually it would. And I, I didn't think maybe it would come this fast, but I knew it would. And and that's the thing that I think that stands out. They built the stadium for this opportunity. Say, they, they, you know, one minor thing like soccer teams, unlike football, American football teams, they enter. American football teams enter from the end zones, from the side of the the stadium. Soccer teams always have this like parade they do out into the middle of the field from the middle of the field, and they built an entrance for that, like that. Like they did all these little things to make sure it was an accommodating facility for major league soccer he said they talked to major league soccer from the beginning and and now they finally found somebody willing to put up hundreds of millions of dollars 500 million dollars from sequan and from this 
uh, Mansoor. And so, and then these other investors, Manny Machado, Brad Termini yes, is an the, investor. The lead developer behind the Sports Arena redevelopment project is a major player, one of the three original principals in, in the uh, ownership group. Right. And so they are, they put up the money to invest in, in Major League Soccer. Let's describe this really quickly. So Major League Soccer, unlike the NFL or Major League Baseball, is one company. These, aren't, these teams aren't separate companies. It is one LLC that you, you don't buy a team. They didn't buy a team or create a new team. They invested $500 million or so into this company and because of that investment, now get the right to both sit on the governor's board and run the team in San Diego mm-hmm. that they are still going to name. It looks like it's going to be something like San Diego FC, football club, whatever. So, uh, yeah, this was, this was a really, truly extraordinary victory for San Diego State to have promised everything they did and not only got this Major League Soccer, they got uh, women's soccer at the highest level. They have concerts at the highest level. They have... Um, uh, LCD sound system coming up. Yeah. Very exciting. Very exciting. Uh, Jimmy Buffett was huge. Yeah. So the... I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't slight boy genius, of course. Yes. Yeah. So... For all the, all the Phoebe heads out there. So the point is, like, let's, let's put that aside. Very impressive moment. For that. Let's talk also about Sequan. One of the things that I think like every political reporter in this town I've ever talked to that no one's ever had a good answer for is like, what does Saquon want? Yeah. Because like you can't look at a campaign disclosure without seeing Saquon Mm -hmm. all over the place. They don't donate to everything. Yeah. And, you know, political donations are not supposed to be transactional. Mm -hmm. However, you don't typically invest in everything unless you have some interests but it's never been entirely clear what saquon's like distinct interest in municipal governance was and so this this doesn't answer that question Uh, you know there was no vote by the mayor or city council or county board of supervisors allowed this does doesn't shed light on that but uh, whenever they are as pronounced a player in public affairs as they are now in this case uh i'm always Hopeful that maybe we'll start to understand what it is that they they're 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 angling. Well, for. I think there was an interesting moment two years ago where the county of San Diego decided to remove its historical prohibition on tribal governments adding land mm-hmm. to their reservations to their sort of holdings. Yeah, there was this uh, archaic, racist, almost you know, decision that they had where you they couldn't grow. And two years ago, it was kind of quiet, but it was kind of a big deal. They said, no, 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 yeah, you can you can add. And I think the probably the best way I would say, and I don't know what they would say to this description, was they are looking to vastly diversify mm-hmm. their holdings. They built an empire or a, or a large business out of casino gambling and resort management. Mm-hmm. And now they want other things. And they want more land. They want to develop more land. And they want to be seen as a player. Now, here was um, Cody Martinez, the chairman of the Sequan Band of the Kumie Nation, and he said, you know, it's kind of nice to be at the table. We are so excited to be a part of this opportunity. And for the last 40 years, we have supported professional sports in this town. So this is a natural evolution 
to go from sponsoring to sitting at the ownership table. So he, they want to be at the table. They want to be at all the biggest tables in San Diego. And I think uh, this, this is interesting. This is the first tribe, Native American tribe, to have a major ownership stake, any ownership stake in men's professional sports at the highest level. There is a tribe in the East Coast that has a uh, women's, I think, basketball team. Huh. Uh, but this is the first of that. So if you think about it, like how many sports teams have Native American imagery, uh, have to varying levels of controversy, including the San Diego State, have used, you know, Native American iconography. Icons. Yeah, thank you. No problem. Uh, to like, you know, rally their 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 clubs. But this is an example of now they are owners in this group. And I think there's a lot of really interesting things to think about with that. So I asked him, I asked Cody Martinez, would they lean into that? Would they do something with that? Would they name the team in some way? Because they're not borrowing anything. They are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if they're the owners, this is, would be unlike you know, basically all of those other situations you've named, you know, Kansas City or uh, Washington's football team or right. Atlanta. Uh, baseball team there's a, a less obvious case for appropriation right. if they are the owners right so he said no he said we have to be very careful misusing native american culture mm -hmm. i'm a fan of us becoming a rival to the la club lafc so why not just do it with sdfc or san diego fc and i thought that was really interesting yeah i think it was my instinct, like, well, that would be really interesting if they tied into it, because how much more San Diego could you get than a, than a tribe that's been here for twelve thousand years? Yeah, particularly when you've got a uh, got a, another soccer team across town that's alleging like insufficient roots right. in the community. Right. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> Which, you could say that I, about I, a lot of things, <laughs> but Saquon really has a trump card on yeah. that. Uh, yeah, and, I'd say. <laughs> I was also struck like we were at Snapdragon Stadium which is I think less than a half mile away mm -hmm. from the mission San Diego de Alcala where that mission was built in 1769 it was the second built by Junipero Serra Junipero Serra excuse mm -hmm. me and it was the it, it was the site of they had created so much forced labor there and so much so many atrocities they had committed and so much just bad things that about 800 Kumeye men attacked the mission and burnt it down in 1775 and that's going to be 250 years exactly when they roll out this soccer team that they are now the owners of mm -hmm. or part owners of and i think it's just a really interesting you talk about San Diego State, you know, and it's it's history going through that. Well, this there's nothing compared to what Sequan has endured and built over that period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, lastly, I want to pull one other clip from Muhammad Mansour. So he was talking about, and I think this is this is another example, you can hear it both ways. So he was talking about uh it's not his team. One thing to make clear. This soccer club is your soccer club. 
It belongs to this city. We are merely custodians. It's your community, and this soccer club is going to be here in San Diego for a long, long time. So I think this is something sports does, right? Like, you know, you're from Baltimore. Like, the Orioles are yours. Mm -hmm. They're not yours. Yeah, no, as evidenced by the fact that the Colts now play in Indianapolis. Yeah, they literally left. (laughs) And I think sports, this is what's always so interesting to me about sports, is it's a show. Yeah. And and there they have now 2 years. But also you you have to commit to the premise or else the entire thing loses meaning. Yes. If you accept that that, that it isn't yours, then you cannot cheer. Yeah. You, can, you cannot express joy after an arbitrary task is completed to your benefit. So they have- It is all <laughs> arranged around the house of cards that it is yours. Yes. And even though as uh, intelligent adults, we understand that it isn't. We must pretend. So the new CEO of the team came out and he said, "Like, hey, I want to give a shout out to the loyal. Mm-hmm. Did a great job here. <laughs> they're they're very upset about what's happening, but oh, he acknowledged it. Yeah, and he, oh. no, he didn't say that. Okay, but he yeah. he's he you know very clearly said, I want to make sure mm-hmm. the supporters groups know. He called out the supporters groups, the locals, a few others. He talked about the wave and the other and the youth soccer clubs that are all over." And he's, he now has, they have now two years to try to really establish that this is, quote, ours, yeah. right? That this yeah. is ours. But I think in this case, it, it is hard. Again, the Anchorman references, the like, what's you to call it again? May Gray? <laughs> like, that, that is a hard thing to get past, especially when you have Major League Soccer, which is, again, one business. Yeah. It's one thing when like the Padres are owned here, you still are not a part of it as a fan. You pay them, yeah. but you don't. You're a member. But you don't own any share. You're not. You're just a. You're just a. You're a, you're a fan. You're a mm-hmm. consumer of that. But they are a club based here, owned here mostly, and you know they play teams that are placed. They're based and owned elsewhere. But I think in this case in particular, it is one business. The all the players are employees of that one business, and so it really is a show. Like it, they are putting on a show. Like yeah. this is your San Diego team. Yeah, and it's and, the Globetrotters versus the Admirals. Yeah, they all travel on the same bus yeah. from city to city. And and even when they sell players, they sell, uh, you know, to to another team. Like the NMLS takes a big cut it of it. Transfers. Yeah. yeah, and it, it's just this really interesting. And I and so I think they have two years to build this like story. Yeah, and we'll see how well they do it because it was a little awkward, but they've got a lot of money, and they they are going to do it very thoroughly. All right, as long as we're resolving longstanding things here, putting a a little a period on the end of the downtown stadium or the excuse me the Charger Stadium right situation, we're settling scores between SDSU and soccer years. Yeah. You once wrote a column, and I wonder if the, if you feel a, a sense of resolution here. You once wrote a column advocating for San Diego to crowdfund the ownership group for an MLS expansion team and proposed <laughs> building a stadium. Back then, it was like $30 million yeah. that you were going to crowdfund. Yeah. Nice. Not, not 500 I was ready. Uh, and and a, a stadium in Chula Vista. Uh-huh. Um, I remember reading this column. I didn't work. 
at Voice of San Diego at the time. I was like, these guys are clowns. <laughs> like, I would never so work just, there. You came just to dabbling work in absolute fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel? This that was uh, you know, that was a professional soccer in San Diego was a, a, a just but a gleam in the eye of a, of of a local CEO. <laughs> I think there was this I believed that there was a um there was enough populist energy for a club like that here and that if they had a stake in it you could raise a ton of money and you could have a lot of fun and you know i still think i i have a lot of theories like that that when you try to execute them look terrible yeah. and they come out very poorly yeah. but maybe some of them work well but i think is this as cool as your idea this is less cool this Be is honest. come on. Obviously, this is more cool than my idea because it's happening and it's got a lot of money <laughs> and it's like, and it's. Uh, but I do think, like again, that connection. You know, they're 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 going to have to build a, a story, almost a fantasy about what this team is, mm-hmm. and that's hard. And it's and it it without you know sort of populist ownership or membership. And the old European clubs, they all come from clubs, people yeah. formed. Yeah. And and formed organically as, you know, like part of a bar or something, right? And like, and this is like a very, this is a very, in, like he said, Corporate. they scouted the globe and they decided to yeah. place it here and that we created a house that they wanted to have that show in. They, we created a perfect studio for them to host the show. Mm-hmm. And kudos to everybody that made that happen and all the money that's going to come in and all the cool youth academies that are going to come with it and all the... Uh, sponsorships of nonprofits, wink, wink, <laughs> that might happen <laughs> around the region, but it's still a, it is a different thing than something that was built and grown here for sure. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. The team at Education First believes the world is better when people understand each other. Since 1965, Education First has helped millions of people explore new countries and cultures and see the world. You can join Education First by opening up your home to an international student and get paid for it as a host family. Education First has a school in Point Loma actively recruiting host families. Learn more at efhomestay.com. That's efhomestay.com. Freeway Exit is a podcast from KPBS Public Media about the past, present, and future of San Diego's freeways. Learn the forgotten history of the San Diegans who built our freeway network and the activists who fought against them. Freeway Exit explores exciting and radical solutions for building a more sustainable and equitable San Diego. Listen and follow Freeway Exit from KPBS wherever you get your podcasts. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., they help high achievers enjoy their lives more fully, manage their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com.
Lopez. Yes. You've been working on this story for quite some time, kind of in the background, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it happens when you're managing editor. Yeah. So how did it start? You were you were you basically heard from the community that there were a lot of things happening and it didn't feel like the police were being responsive to them. Mm-hmm. It was going to um, community meetings. I think one that I talked about here on the podcast where people were talking about things that they were dealing with related to mostly the homeless population in their community. And often the response from officers was, our hands are tied. Um, you know, there's not much we can do. With, there's a couple things we can ask them to move, but like we can't really do anything. And I sensed that there was frustration from people um, and slowly but surely started gathering more stories. Uh, one from a community member who, um, you know, had an interaction that was unpleasant and dangerous and he called 911 and the person on the other line offered to give him the police department's phone number. And he was like, uh, wait, I, am I not on the phone with the police? You know, and they were trying to refer him to a non-emergency. Now, he felt that the situation he was in was an emergency, but the person on the other line felt that there were more pressing calls than for what he was calling right. for, right? And so that sense of, okay, who do you call if you're in trouble or something's happening um, is kind of how it all came together. So you and Will Huntsbury combined this week on a story about workers in particular in central San Diego. So not just downtown, but Mission Hills mm-hmm. and other places where they are dealing with very difficult, violent confrontations with mostly people who are unhoused mm-hmm. and and they don't know what to do. And they especially don't know what to do because police response times to incidents like this have gotten to the point where they're almost, they're just almost absent completely. Yeah. So there was, um, there's three narratives in, in that story specifically, three examples. One of them is of um, a store a store worker at a market in East Village who had someone who was unhoused kind of, you know, being rowdy in the store. Uh, He had a knife and was being confrontational. And it took 30 minutes for police officers to get there. Um, You know, which like in the moment when you're dealing with someone like that can be pretty scary. There was a video that we found um, or, you know, came across on Twitter. It was kind of blowing up of a Mission Valley shop owner. So the whole story was that the shop owner was in there a woman or a man who appeared to be homeless came in and tried to steal a bag of chips. So the store owner, you know, tried to interact with him and tell him not to steal a bag of chips. And he was punched in the face. The store owner was. Um, the homeless individual went outside and a crowd kind of started gathering because, you know, this ha- just happened. And um, this is where the video sort of starts, where the homeless man's kind of like saying stuff. And this other man out of nowhere comes out and he starts circling with the homeless man. They're in the street, you know, and then the man who came out of the side with the longer hair, he starts chasing the homeless man down the street, pushes him into a fence. And this has been going on for minutes and police have been called from the moment that this man was punched in the face, but no one's showing up, right? And instead you're having uh, civilians take matters into their own hands where at the video there's a point where the larger man is smashing the homeless man's face on the cement. And eventually at some point, the police officers show up and take control of the scene. Yeah, and there was actually a voice in that video. It was like, where are the yeah, police? Yeah, where are the... Co- and it was kind of funny because they're, the tone in their voice, 
is like they're almost kind of laughing in disbelief that it's been so long and that no one has showed up. Yeah. And I think that was part of what's interesting about this story is that the police aren't responding Mm -hmm. and there is now a rather scary phenomenon of this vigilantism occurring. And we should be clear at this point, obviously the vast, vast majority of experiences with unsheltered people in San Diego uh, aren't violent, aren't criminal, whatever. But the problem has gotten so big and there's so many people struggling that the confrontations with in particular workers in central San Diego have gotten to the point where it's just, it's you started talking to people and they're like, oh yeah, I have like 15 stories, right? Yeah. And they all, they've developed tricks yeah. on how to like get police to respond in ways that aren't entirely ethical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we well, I, I spoke to a restaurant owner who we didn't include in the story, but- a while back, I spoke to a restaurant owner in Hillcrest who told me he constantly had issues with homeless people walking into the restaurant, taking off their clothes, stealing food from people's plates, you know, and that can be troublesome as a business owner. And he was increasingly concerned about his bussers and his waiters. And at one point, he realized that, like, if he called 911 and said that it was a homeless person, um, you know, either causing trouble in the restaurant or stealing or whatever, that police never showed up. So instead, he calls and says, you know, they're pulling something out of their backpack. Like, I think it might be a weapon. I don't know. And he tries to keep it vague so, you know, he doesn't say the word homeless. And an individual in the story that Will spoke to kind of said the similar thing. But, you know, at that point, you're calling 911 and you're saying that this person might have some sort of weapon when you're not sure or you might be lying just to get them to respond. But at that point, you have officers who are maybe responding to a call with that in mind, right? They're going to show up thinking this person is possibly armed, um, which could escalate situations. Yeah, I mean, enough of those situations occur over a long enough time. Yeah. Somebody's going to get shot. Yeah. The, you know, I mean, if a police officers are arriving to the scene with a report that somebody has a weapon, a gun, mm-hmm. a knife, the chances of that eventually be- becoming a shooting yeah. are pretty high, may- may- maybe nearing 100% over a long enough time horizon. And another sort of interesting part of the story then is the police's own take on this, where they're basically like, well, try to get yourself out of these situations. Or, yeah, I don't know what to do about that. And they are they are without speech about what to do, right? They have no advice for people. And this is what's so weird about this moment in time, because there seems to be this standoff between the police and the political leaders and the residents of this community where the residents are saying what is happening Mm -hmm. this is bad and the police are saying sorry we can't do anything you should call your political leaders and the political leaders are saying there's no reason the police shouldn't be able to do x y and z and it's like okay well who's in charge like what's happening (laughs) and in fact there was you know you report in your story that at one point, you you know you you attended a community meeting where somebody who had a, a very bad situation mm-hmm. said, "What am I supposed to do?" And the police officer said, "Well, yeah, I mean, all, you know, nine one one isn't a great option. I would just say, don't go there. Yeah, M- you know, arrange your life around avoiding these situations." Yeah. There was like two main messages: like either avoid when you can, avoid it, right? Yeah, and or just don't get involved at all. Yeah. Um, but there was also a message of like, if you have to defend yourself. 
defend yourself. So I mean, it's quite conflicting. And then also, and then the police chief went before the city council, and Councilman Kent Lee said, you know, given response times, given our staff in crisis, given your, you know, the issues present here, are, are you the right person to call? Should we be trying to create some sort of alternative to the police? Mm-hmm. And Chief Nislite says, no, absolutely not. We are the right person to call. We have teams who deal with this. Um, and I mean, that's, it's just those, the, it, it has to be one, but it can't be both of, yeah. of those answers. Right. Yeah. And that's how we laid it out in the story because it's, it's quite confusing as a resident. So which one is it? You guys can handle the problem or we should handle it ourselves. We should just walk away. If you can't walk away, defend yourself until the cops show up. You know, there was a line in there um, from one of the individuals I spoke with who, um, you know, had described a, a what he sensed as something that should have been an emergency. And um, the police officer later said, you know, like, what one person considers, you know, is like, we should be responding lights and sirens, drop everything that you're doing. Like, you know, the whole like police force of San Diego go to this one person's call is probably not that kind of call. Yeah. It's not going to happen. I think that's what's so sad and disturbing about the story is that there are now such a there's such a high volume of these kinds of encounters that there is no way to sort of see how they can be lessened or or dealt with there is no way out it doesn't feel like it has any potential of getting better that the mental health crisis and the uh, unhoused crisis have ballooned to such a, a, a volume, to such a high level that we are, this is only going to get worse and that there's nobody with any sort of plan to get out of it. And that's what's so hard about this whole crisis is like, I don't still feel like it's being talked about as an emergency and that that, that represents an emergency. And this isn't just you know rich people who don't want to see the sight of people who are poor and suffering. But really, this is working class people who are being confronted every day, just going through their own struggles, mm-hmm. and and they have they are give, be given no options by their employers or by the police about how to handle these moments, and it appears to only be getting worse, and there's no hope, and that's just terrible. Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, a response that I've seen to the story, which is, you know, some version of. Um, a anger that there are people in these situations, you know, lying about this and that, that that's going to result in somebody being dead. And I, I totally understand and, and share. I mean, the, the lying about this is going to get somebody hurt or killed at some point. The other is is like, well, you know, we, we can't trust the police in these situations or, you know, it's just a dollar bag of chips. Um, but it, what's clear to me is that these are like untenable situations to become a part of daily life. And they have become a part of daily life. And no one has provided a simple answer about what you should do in that situation. Mm -hmm. What should you do? Um, If police aren't the right option, what is? And how do we deal with these these situations that are not uncommon anymore? And it, it just doesn't seem like we're getting any closer to answering that question. Um, and and the other thing I'll say is that like working downtown, living downtown, being uh, in the homeless community, 
and dealing with the accumulation of these sort of traumatic events, these disruptions from your daily life on a regular basis, it is a collective community trauma yeah. that is taking a toll. You can you can brush aside any one of these incidents and say, you know, you are not the victim here. You gainfully employed person who had to be in a store when something potentially violent or ugly happened. Um, but living that way multiple times a week for months or years on end is is not good for our collective psyche. Absolutely not. And it'll have consequences like any trauma over time of your it own It has behavior. consequences like people deciding to start lying about whether somebody does or does not have a gun mm -hmm. because they feel desperate. I, I, there was a very smart comment somebody said online that said, People in desperate situations do desperate things, whether that's stealing a $1 bag, you know, bag of potato chips when they're hungry or lying about somebody having a, a, a gun when they don't because right. the other police otherwise don't respond. And you're afraid they're going to assault you, right. which is, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, who wants to get punched in the face? It's shaped so much of people's lives. And, you know, we talk about it often as downtown, but, you know, I had stories from Hillcrest and we had different areas we went to and. You know, like it's just interesting, like Starbucks is such a place that, you know, like I go to all the time. Um, but when Will went to go speak to different Starbucks, I know, I'm sorry to admit that. Um, when Will went to go speak to like different Starbucks workers, it was just story after story after story. Yeah. And, you know, like I had um, interacted with some in Hillcrest who told me that they don't open. They, they're supposed to open at a certain time, but they don't actually open because mm -hmm. a lot of people will come in. Um, that are homeless in Hillcrest and will cause trouble. So instead they wait until it's a much busier time where you are having regular customers. But it's shaped, it has shaped the way they do yeah. their jobs. Um, and these are regular people. Yeah, and like I think to your point at the beginning, at the top, Scott, uh, it is certainly the case that the vast majority of people who do not have a home are not engaging in this behavior. And even people who engage in this behavior are doing it a, a small fraction of the time that they live their lives. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that the population is so large now. And also, look, like we say it all the time. You, you, Scott, say it all the time. Living on the street, living in these conditions forces you into horrible conditions that, that deteriorate, deteriorate your mental health. It, it, it can't be both that like the conditions are so miserable, so dehumanizing that it changes your behavior and also that we can't talk about what happens as a result. Of All that the more change. reason it needs to be considered an emergency. I yeah. think there's a lot of people who want this problem to be something that's different, that they're almost different humans, that they're different types of humans yes. who have fallen and and therefore like need to be treated even worse or separated or somehow like otherwise. Yeah, you see that all the time. You hear yeah. that response all the time. Yeah, right? and that, that it's drugs or that's, they've made bad choices. They are now different people who are, need to be treated differently. And I think what's, what the real response needs to be now is that this cannot continue and needs to be addressed as a public health emergency. And every, every possible lever, every possible open space, every possible open plot of land or parking garage or, or hospital or open room needs to be accessed to figure out what we can do to, to give people more stability and warmth and sleep because 
Otherwise, this is going to just continue to balloon and it'll, it'll get to the point where the collective trauma leads people to do not just acts of individual vigilantism, but, but much broader, scary response to control situations that or, I don't think people here or, are ready or to Or at grab. the very least, support political solutions that they otherwise would never have supported. Right. You know, potentially cruel political solutions that they otherwise would not have supported. And I would say also that, like, the fear of stigmatizing the population by uh, highlighting what is a minority of incidents is real, and I understand it. But also, it can't, it, it, you, 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 it can't prevent you from having an honest conversation about what's happening. When you guys went and asked un, you know, open-ended questions to the workers of, of the central city, they all have these encounters that are meaningfully violent, not uncomfortable, not, um, you know, they don't want to see poverty, violent confrontations. And like it, it, something that is that common, that is that prevalent, that every worker has their stories and it's part of their job, basically. We have to be able to talk about that and we, we should do it responsibly and not to, so as not to stigmatize people, but you still have to have that conversation. So there are a couple other angles we got to continue to hit on, I think, about what is this disconnect between what the police can and can't do? Uh, what what does this do to inform? Maybe it's, you know, there, we're talking about this ordinance about banning encampments. Well, there are already laws that, that could be enforced in different ways. And is that really the one that's going to make a difference? Um, a lot of things to discuss, but uh, great job. Thank you. You can, uh, of course, read uh, all of those stories and more and follow Andrea's great work at vosd.org slash Andrea. That's vosd.org slash A-N-D-R-E-A. Metropolitan Transit System has some things going on. They're, uh, they just got a new chairman. They actually settled that, right? Uh, yeah. Stephen Whitburn won that election. Councilman Stephen Whitburn is the chair of MTS. They have this ongoing scandal and legal problem with the alleged sexual harassment and assault in their offices of one of their PR specialists uh, by the former chairman of the organization, Nathan Fletcher, who has now fully resigned from the county. We didn't mention that. That actually happened. You remember, like, it's like 45 days ago yeah that nathan fletcher was just like a, a county supervisor the most powerful yeah. politician in san diego i think arguably yeah and now he's just gone not so long ago no so mts though is also dealing with some budget problems and in particular some major complaints about its new system its new payment system called pronto now you're something of an expert on on some of these payment systems <laughs> uh there are you can go to New York and you just hold your phone up and they'll and and you can get on the subway there. Yeah, or credit card. Just boop, one of, one of the companies that runs all those for for different uh, uh, transit systems across the world is based here in San Diego. What's it called? Cubic. And Cubic is not a massive employer in San Diego County. Does not have the contract for our public transit system. Okay, so they instead went with Pronto. Yeah. Uh, pronto means soon or soon quick. Yeah, swift. Soon. Um, it is not. What would be your specific uh, translation? Soon. Soon. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So what is going on? Well, so you might have, people listening to this might already know what's going on. This is one of those things that seems to be like everyone knows about, but no one has written about, which is it's really hard to pay for transit 
in San Diego? Yeah, you get the app, you put money on the app, and you're supposed to scan the app under one of these things that looks like a hand sanitizer. It looks like a hand sanitizer, but it works like a QR code reader. And your phone shows you a QR code that's connected to your account, and you know you have a little laser scanner. Um, problem is, like, they don't work a lot of the time. Like, mo- every time I've tried to use it, I have to work really hard to scan my mm-hmm. ticket. Um, to the point that a lot of people just stopped doing that, or they just walked away, or they tried and failed so many times that they just that the train came and they had to get where they were going. You know, let's put some data on this. So, in January 2023, passengers took about three million trolley trips, but just under one million actually validated their ticket and paid. Uh, MTS estimates it lost about $3 million in Fairbox revenue in 2022 because people just aren't validating their tickets. This is a story on our site by Mackenzie Elmer. Well, because it's two things, right? Like you can load money onto the app. Yeah. So like in your head, you're like, well, I paid. paid yeah. I loaded onto the app, yeah. uh, you know, going back to Starbucks, loading it up on my <laughs> Starbucks card. Right. But then you're not actually scanning it. So you're not validating your you're not paying for that ride ride. no (laughs) and 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 you know presumably like i know this is how i would think about it if i didn't couldn't do it and the train was going to come if a a conductor came through i would be able to talk my way out of that i'd be like look i tried the thing didn't work i've got money on it obviously i my my intentions are good here you'd feel very confident in your ability to work through that problem and in fact that is what's going on Mm -hmm. and people do still walk through and validate so uh, MTS, we should say, if you go back years, and I think I, I wrote about this in the, at the time, San Diego used to be like very proud of its fare evasion rate. So we have a system where you, you pay off, off board if you're on the trolley, you, or you pay as you're getting on the bus. You pay on getting, as you're getting on the bus, everyone pays for that. Trolley, uh, we don't have turnstiles. It's not like a subway system where unless you, actively go out of your way to evade the law and jump over a turnstile turnstile hopping you're you here you can just walk on the platform it would be easy to not pay um and they what they would do is they would um they come through every once in a while as like a secondary check to make sure you pay they can give you a fine usually they just give you a warning and make you pay right there make you get off and buy a card and get back on something like that and they're their fare evasion rate for systems like that, where you know there aren't turnstiles, was very low, like best in class of all transit station, stations in the under the old system. Like that has collapsed. They, so now they're like one million out of three million people are paying for when they use the system based on a janky product. They got a janky payment system. So there is some talk about solutions. There's a group that just wants you to be able to pay with like regular Apple Pay. You can just sort of scan it or something. Well, and that's the amazing thing to me is that like when we had the compass card, that was the old system. People complained like this doesn't have any of the modern features that other systems have. We had you could get a day pass or you could buy a one way fare or you could buy a monthly or yearly pass. Right. That was how you could pay under the compass compass card system. People wanted you to be able to just load money in and have it deduct as you went. The theory was that this would be beneficial to people who don't ride every day as their primary mode of transportation because those people just buy a monthly pass. But if you don't do that, then you want to be able to just maybe, oh, I need to catch a bus. I'll go pay. It deducts two bucks. And if you don't 
want to ride home. You don't need a day pass. And if you don't ride again for two weeks, the rest of your money is just sitting there waiting for you. You used to not be able to do that in the Compass Card system. Circulate San Diego uh, led a campaign. KPBS did a lot of reporting about how we didn't have these modern systems that all the other transit systems had. We went through a process. We bid. The MTS bid for a replacement. And as soon as they got the replacement, all these other systems allowed you to just pay with your phone, pay with a compass card. Like instantly we were like out of date again. Yeah. We got a new system and we're out. And, and now even this one, like the big problem of it not scanning, that's not even an out of date. It's just like it doesn't work. Yeah. It's just <laughs> substandard. Uh, and so, you know, losing $3 million from a system that's already cash strapped uh, is not good. It's been it's been remarkable since Mackenzie's story. Like every person commenting out on social media is like, "Yeah, it's impossible to pay." Yeah. Last five times I went, I just didn't pay because I couldn't pay. And especially if you've already, I thought stored- I was the only person experiencing this. It was driving me crazy. Like, or I, I I never even noticed those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jacob thought they were hand sanitizers. Yeah. I think I think part of the issue you do feel like you've paid because you have paid into the app yeah. and the, the actual act of doing it. Well, they're going to have to resolve it soon. MTS is also dealing with striking workers and its own budget problems, and so good luck with what you've got going, agency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in San Diego that does occasional live podcasts at Whistle Stop Bar. We had a great time. Thanks for everybody who came. Thanks to everybody who came out. It was great to meet and talk to old friends as well. You can now watch full segments and highlights from the show on YouTube. Find those videos on the Voice of San Diego YouTube page. And of course, you can follow all the stories we're reporting and threads we are following with The Morning Report. It's our most popular newsletter. Subscribe now at VOSD.org slash morning. That's VOSD.org slash morning. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats is Managing Editor. Andrea Lopez-Viafania is also Managing Editor. And Nate John is our excellent producer. Thank you.